This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined tonight by host of the Milling Yalangwa podcast, Wondery and Nurai Ilam Warangman, Jasper Cohen Hunter. Hi, hey, Jasper. How are you going? I'm good, I'm good. Um, and research fellow in the ARC Centre of Excellence for Automated Decision Making and Society and the Emerging Technologies Research Lab at Monash University. Tao Fan. Hey, Flick. <laughs> I apologise for yeah. my long ass title. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't start, I didn't realise how long it was going to be until I was, was already started. Yeah, you need like, a deep breath. Before uh, yeah. You go. yeah. <laughs> Comes with a warning. Uh, so, on tonight's show, we are going to review Jub Claire's tender coming of age Pilbara drama, Sweet As, about a young teenage girl called Mara who ikes out in order to get attention from her absent mother. It is the first feature film from WA to be written and directed by an Indigenous female filmmaker. And then we're going to return to the East Coast for Sari Braithwaite's documentary Because We Have Each Other, an intimate betrayal of a neurodiverse family living in Brisbane on the working class fringe. And then we're going to wrap up the hour with some recommendations of what shows and films we've been loving this week. Uh, Jasper, it is so lovely to have you back on the show. You joined me the other week for our discussion of Ivan Sen's work and our um, review of his latest film, Limbo. Uh, Listeners can, of course, listen back to that episode and indeed all of our previous episodes on the Triple R website, rrr.org.au, or by subscribing to our podcast. So I'm glad that you agreed to come back on. Oh, look, I love it here. Um, I noticed on the way to the radio station that I felt no nerves this time. So this is my <laughs> second time on the radio and I absolutely love it here. <laughs> and how it's been quite a while since we had you on, on the show, but there are some really super interesting links between your current research and, and Sari Braithwaite's documentary, which we're going to discuss in a little bit more detail. Mm, yeah, on. that's right. I've been doing some uh, field work in Logan where it's at. And we'll get we'll, we'll kind of do a deep dive. I feel like you're going to have to explain quite a lot to me because I was Googling quite a bit. <laughs> you sent me through your research Let me plan. save you a Google. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you the spot notes. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. In Jub Claire's Sweet As, teenager Mara, played by Shante Barnes-Cohen, drags a heavy wardrobe in front of her bedroom door to prevent guests from her mum's raucous late-night party from getting in. And Mara has learnt that her mother won't protect her and so creates barriers both literal and figurative to keep people out. When her uncle, local cop Ian Mark, um, played by Mark Coles-Smith, steps in, he enrolls her in a camp for troubled teens in the hopes of breaking down those barriers. Here is a short clip. Mother, I've organised for you to go away. It's some kind of photo safari for adverse kids. So lucky. Hello, everyone. The camera will be our instrument for telling our stories. Mara! And I wonder, what's yours? You're my niece and I love you, all right? But I want you to think about your future, what being independent means. Maybe that's without mum for a little while, okay? 
got an opportunity here. Don't waste it. I've never been kissed. What? Oh, look at me, you little perv. <laughs> How do you know when a guy likes you? This is incredible. Wow. Hey, Sean. Sean! Sean, can you hear me? Did you just leave him? We have one hour until it gets dark. How would you feel if we abandoned you? So Sweet As is the first feature-length film from WA to be both written and directed by an Indigenous, indigenous female filmmaker. Jasper, it's also the subject of the first episode of the Milling Yalingwa podcast, which uh, that you present. I love that you started your podcast series with this film because it obviously means so much to you. Um, tell us, tell us why you decided on to, to start with it because I know there's so many films. We had you on the other week, and yeah, there's a lot of films that you talk about on your your socials, but you narrowed it down to starting with Jab Claire's Sweet As. Well, I can openly say that this is probably the first cinematic experience that I've had um, going to my first global premiere, but also having a film that actually speaks to me and my character, um, being a someone who was an Aboriginal boy uh, that felt disconnected from culture um, and things like that and found my love for photography as a way to communicate uh, who I am. And so I see myself within Mara and it was almost leading to a sort of existential crisis where I saw myself for the first time uh, on the screen and that was communicated to me as the audience and I'm sure that many people that have seen this have found um, through the dynamic uh, characters in this coming-of-age story that they find someone um, within the sort of misfits um, on this photo safari. I first uh, started uh, looking into Jubclo's work because I actually studied uh, The Turning, which is the... uh, novel by uh, Tim Winton and so Jub Clo's, uh short film in the 2013 anthology uh, is the the start of that story um, of a small uh, love story of the main character and a mysterious girl uh, on the beach and mm. when I first watched this anthology I felt that the book that I had read had communicated to me perfectly as if I had imagined it um, from the words on the paper leaping off the screen mm. and my imagination was correct there and I thought Jub Kler has an amazing cinematic vision and I cannot wait mm. until the first uh, feature debut. And here we are yeah. and it communicated to my soul of, yeah. of who I am and my journey through my childhood. Mm. Um, and, and just, as, just so, an aside, yeah. sorry to interrupt, I was just going to say just an aside, that anthology that you, you mentioned turning, there are so many amazing filmmakers that are featured on that. It's always, we. I think last time we spoke, we were talking about how much of a an education as you as you make your way through um, cinema, you become so much more literate in how diverse this landscape is. And I really loved that. You know, that was your entry point, and that then takes you to to follow up on her work. You know, years later, and I I loved your enthusiasm in your podcast. I mean. Um, you obviously, I, I keep on referring to it as a camp, but photo, ph- photography safari is is actually what you went on. Yeah, um, yeah. So I 2021, I was invited to go to the Beldwayugan Leadership uh, Academy, um, and I connected through that through photography um, as sort of being the media support. And it was, I'd found a, a film uh, camera 
and I was given some rolls of film and I was able to capture, I went to uh, Mungo National Park. And so I connected with the landscape in that way and that's how I first sort of connected to culture when I was 19, 20 years old. Um, and I was going through my own sort of journey and turmoils that I guess Mara was as well. And so um, I was seeing it, uh, that story uh, within myself, not just from the larger existential level, but quite literal in the mm. sense that Mara is going on a photo safari and the way that I connect to my culture and also um, Mungo National Park being the evidence of the oldest cultural um, burials in the world, um, the evidence that we are the oldest continuous uh, surviving culture in the world right there and I was able to ground myself into that soil and, and walk amongst um, ancestors was very beautiful and you sense that with Mara as mm-hmm. well in this that she is connecting to her culture through very specific not just digital photography but film photography and that's its own um, story where they're like oh there's no screen on this camera how mm-hmm. are you meant to take photos well you're meant to look through and you're meant to connect with the subject that's in front of you you're meant to connect with the leaves and the river not mm-hmm. the like LCD screen you're meant to look at what's in front of you and, and capture the story out of that. And I think there's a sort of scene where Mara's actually looking at the leaves. And, um, you know, for me, being uh, Wurundjeri, our mob is connected to the Matagum leaves. And so I was looking at that and thinking about the the gum leaves and, and our connection as a mob to that because, um, yeah, our mob quite literally translates to the Matagum leaves mm. and, and the grubs in the trees. And so mm. that's, like, that's a cultural connection there as well. Mm. And there's a lovely scene in the film where, and we have, we should mention some of the other cast in, in this um, film, Tasma Walton, um, who people will know from Clever Man. Uh, she was also in Mystery Road. Um, I feel like she's just always been on our screens from like Blue Healers, right? Was she in Blue Healers? Oh, like, is that where she's from? From ages ago. I'm squinting and looking at her face like, why do I know <laughs> She's such a familiar fan and she's such an incredible actor. Um, but she's, she's one of the tour guides on, on this journey. And... Um, there's a moment in, in which um, herself, um, Elvis, who's one of the other sort of wayward teens, and, and Mara all stop by the river. And it's a really beautiful moment because there's something about that pausing. And, you know, Jasper, you were talking before about the art of photography and how that plays into this sense of being on country, respecting country, and, and these teens reconnecting. I thought that that was just such a beautiful thing to see and it's not really like made a big thing of, it's just so naturally weaved into the story. It's not kind of put on display. It just is part of the characters. Yeah, yeah I completely agree with that. And I, I think I discuss this on the podcast as well, that um, photography as a medium in storytelling is often used for this strange sort of voyeuristic or creepy storytelling. Mm. And it's the first time that I've ever seen photography used to tell a transition from like teenagehood to adulthood mm. and maturity um, and that was such a beautiful thing to see because the camera is often used in like quite quite bad ways through mm. um, narrative features and seeing it used um, to build character within someone mm. and connect to the land was just amazing as a viewer, as someone who constantly uh, takes photos everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. You know, uh, photography has such like a tight relationship with colonisation. Yes. Uh, and film as well, right? You think of one of the first sort of what's called the first documentaries, the Nanook of the North. Oh, exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and the sort of um, Indigenous people as the subject of mm-hmm. the gaze, uh, but also the ways in which um, uh, bodies are fixed mm. uh, and, and looked upon and dissected and the role of the camera in dissecting and doing that work. Mm. Uh, so that is why it is so, like, refreshing to see this woman holding a camera, mm. yeah. you know, and the things that she chooses to look at and frame. 
um, as opposed to being framed herself, though she is literally being framed, you know, but by someone. Uh, I remember in the credits of this film, they cut to, do you remember um, during the credits they play photos from Judd Clare's yeah. real life. Um, I love yeah. that. <laughs> real life adventure, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I loved uh, and really gave this sense of like continuity and impact mm. and also like meaningful to see this person go through a journey where you know that this is about their life. Uh, and you can see the fruits of their labour, mm. you know, to see them become a, a feature filmmaker, um, being able to narrate their own story is so wonderful. Mm. And I loved I was listening to an interview with um, Jub Claire and she was talking about the fact that she's she was thinking, like, oh, what should I have as my, you know, as my debut feature? And she had all these stories that she'd worked. And then it just kind of occurred to her, like, oh, of course, <laughs> This this is very personal story, and I love that that gets weaved into it. Um, I had the same thought as you, Tal, watching it. How how it acts as this? It's such a different approach to photography, and this idea of stepping away from that fixedness, which yes, photography obviously has its static, but having it more as a sense of agency. And it's a it's a young girl who's actually finding desire, both, you know, desire for one of the guides, but also desire just as a passion for life and what she's interested in. And she's very much in the driver's seat. I we're talking we're focusing a lot on the fact that this is, you know, based on Jab experience. But something I found so refreshing is the film Sweet As, it does follow a formula. But it, the story and the characters are so unformulaic that it's such a beautiful coupling. It, it's almost like a you know classic coming of age. Um, it's got all the, the notes of a coming of age drama. Um, the whole thing of this, you know, just, yeah, it's like Breakfast Club in yes, the bush or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what they used as yeah, the slogan, like right? Outback Breakfast Outback Club, Breakfast Club. Yeah. and it fits that. In I, it I does. and I think there's something really fascinating sinking into genre but then coupling it with this distinctly um, Indigenous narrative. And Jasper, I know when we were chatting last time about Ivan Sen's work, he does that all the time with with genre and he taps into that. And something else that I, you know, really enjoyed was that it's a young girl at the centre. And I feel like growing up I really didn't see young girls put as the centre character. I didn't see... um, their desires, their interests, um, their lives taken seriously. And there's something really refreshing as an adult woman watching a film in which she is the centre and she's not made fun of and her her highs and lows are not kind of the butt of a joke or they're not reduced in any way. She's given full agency and I absolutely loved the performance at the centre by Shantae Barnes-Cohen who herself is a filmmaker and I just thought that was a beautiful coupling and I'm so curious to know more about what that working relationship was like between Claire, who must have been looking at Shantae as something of her, herself. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I really love what you said there about um, genre and playing with genre mm. as well. Um, you know, I was thinking about this as a coming-of-age film, which it, it definitely is, but it's actually it's also so interesting to think about this like within the context of films that are made in this country and like on mm. country. You know, um, so films like Walkabout, Wake and Fright, Van Diemen's Land, The Proposition, all these films that are about like fighting country, <laughs> you know, like going bush and absolutely losing your mind mm. and um, being oppressed by it and and being in this, like, existential battle with it. Um, and, you know, and the landscape is always this, the, the enemy, right? Mm. It's a character and it's always the enemy. And this is 
totally different. So far from that. In fact, so the, far from that. The, the predators in this film, and there are predators, are men. Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there's, uh, particularly white men. Um, there's some wonderful, it, you know, for a coming of age story, there are some very dark moments. It opens with a relatively, it's something that's hinted at, but. Um, you know, Mara's room is there is someone I mentioned she puts that wardrobe in front of that door. Someone does try to get into her room at that party and when she and one of the other girls are out in out in the town, they there's two men that approach them and that is the threat. And mm. you're right, Tao, it's not the country it's not country that is is kind of a threat to them or dangerous. There is, you know, moments in which like, oh, will this person be okay? But it's never a threat to Mara. Yeah. It's closer to like Warwick Thornton's The Beach. Mm. Do you know? You know, oh, which what is a beautiful miniseries. The mm. best. Yes. I mean, gorgeous, uh, but also really similar, like this sort of like a tussling with mental health. Yes. Um, and sort of the restorative power of sort of being with country. Um, like th- those two, I think, in unison, the same with the kinds of the, the cinematography mm. across both. Um, there's sort of so much the weight of like silence and listening. Yes. Um, you know, th- this actress, Shante Barnes-Cohen, she has one of these faces that is so pensive. Mm. You know, she's just so, there is so much like um, thought going into her furrowed brow that she doesn't really have to say much to sort of carry so much of the weight of the film. And and she does have moments of anger, but I feel like it's so justified. She is a young girl who whose mother is absent and she is left to fend for herself. And it's fantastic she has her uncle there, but so much of the film, of course she'd have these barriers up. And I I just really loved. I mean, we should mention we're, we're talking about country here. Karangini National Park is is kind of where they're exploring, and I remember going there. And um, it's so interesting seeing a lot of the sacred sites on screen. Jasper, how is that for you when you're seeing these, knowing those places have so much meaning and history to them? What's it like at being communicated on screen? Because I feel like the film does a beautiful job of really capturing that. Yeah, I think when it comes to the relationship with the environment, particularly uh, nature and the outback, there's something that Indigenous cinemas will always do. And if it's a relationship between urbanism and rural or something like like that, if it's um, the domination of um, buying up land from where sacred uh, country is, there's a way that connects um, to the environment through the characters that is so beautiful. Mm. Um, and I don't think it can be fully achieved in things that are not Indigenous cinema, Mm. there is a connection there to the land um, Mm. that is ancestral, it's spiritual, Um, but it's also there tangibly. It's also there Mm. because, as everyone always says, and I say always was, always will be Aboriginal land, and so the land connection is tangible. When they touch the sand, when they're there, when their feet are on it, it's not just a spiritual notion that Mm. that is their country, that is their country. Mm. And so um, leaving the toxic environment, the dangerous environment, particularly when they're in the city. I mean, these are kids experimenting with alcohol. These are kids Mm. experimenting with drugs and the danger of men in these uh, urban environments. Mm. When they're actually out into the environment, there's no danger there because there's nothing to be scared of out there. When that is your land, there's Mm. nothing to be scared of. And sometimes someone has to find their connection through it in their own way. I've seen it through um, people that pick up a hobby in fishing. I've done it through photography. 
people pick up their own connection through that and especially um, young Indigenous mob that need to connect with the land. They mm. will find their path and then once they find that entry into it, they'll understand. Mm. And I think that Job Clerk understands it very well as a filmmaker and is able to capture that environment so well that mm. we're able to experience it as an audience um, and pick up that land connection instantly yeah. because I'm seeing the beauty of that land in the same way that I look at my own country and mm. the way when I live um, on Warrantjeri country I see... Um, the beauty and the detail um, in the environment that other people may not. And that's perhaps because I'm looking through it through a photographic lens yeah. as well. Mm. I love that thought of of the camera zooming in. And we have those moments within the film where it does stop for a moment and we get to see exactly what Mara has ca- captured on, on with her camera. Um, I also I feel like one of the characters that stood out to me the most mainly because it takes a while for us as the audience to get to know him is Elvis. And there's a really heartbreaking scene in which, you know, Elvis comes across as so charismatic and extroverted and we're kind of like, why is he on this camp? He seems (laughs) very well balanced. And there's a really heartbreaking um, revelation. And I think that I won't ruin it for people who have not yet seen Jeff Clerk's amazing film Sweet As, but it really spoke to what is happening now you know, we have um, so many, you know, public drunkenness being something that can you can end up in jail for and with the Indigenous Australians being the um, most incarcerated in the world, it's kind of just amazing to think that this film is able to just tap on that and we know that, and we know that story. And I, I wonder how this will play as well you know, overseas, um, but I definitely feel like it's a film that, has so much in it and it's interesting because it has a very earnest cover to it but I think there's a lot of depth to it and I really really enjoyed spending that time with this film um I know you're a big fan Jasper Tao what were your thoughts closing comments for this one oh no I totally agree I just thought about how profoundly sad it is that there's an inquiry at the moment Mm. uh into that kid who was literally abducted and beaten Mm. um, under almost identical circumstances, you know, and knowing that this film would have been made and written years and years before that. There's something so profoundly sad about that. And yet this film chooses to turn away from the sadness, Mm. you know, and to do so much more than just Mm. be a sad film. It's like this and the next film that we're going to talk about, you know, they sit... um, um, with the possibilities of life and where we can go from there. Mm-hmm. And there's that one line from, from Mara where she says, oh, what did she say? Um, I'm, I'm sorry for being a dickhead. I'm sorry for being a dickhead. I'm just going through some stuff. And it's like so much good in this world could come if each of us could use that <laughs> like, as, as often as we could. I you know, could yeah. just say, I'm sorry for being a dickhead. Mara was very relatable. <laughs> Too relatable. Um, I think everyone should check out Sweet As. I feel as though there's audience members who are like, oh, it's not my kind of film. It is 100% a film you should check out. It is currently streaming, uh, streaming, screening at cinemas all around the country at the moment. So five years in the making, Because We Have Each Other, is an intimate portrayal of a neurodiverse family, Janet, Buddha and their five adult children. 
Directed by archivist and filmmaker Sari Braithwaite, the documentary is a marked departure from her debut feature from 2018 called Censored, which was a 63-minute documentary that was created using banned motion picture footage, film footage, um, that was actually removed from the censors that were working at the Australian Film Censorship Board between eight, uh, 1951 and uh, 78. Uh, I just love that as a concept of a film. I um, have not had an opportunity to watch Censored yet, but having watched this documentary, it is now on my list. So in Because We Have Each Other, Braithwaite plays witness to the day-to-day life of the family. Finding significance in the mundane, the film captures the messy reality of life. The film is based in Logan, which has been formally listed as a national site of disadvantage, and the town has Uh, extremely high rates of youth unemployment and a high youth crime rate. Um, It's not, this isn't the focus of the film, which, and I'll play a clip from it in a second, but before we get into our review, Tao, you're currently leading a project that is looking at the role of test beds and test sites for AI in Australia. And you've spent a lot of time in Logan um, as part of this field work. Why, why is Logan a focus point for this research? Yeah, well, uh, believe it or not, Logan is um, the site of the world's largest commercial drone delivery test site. Uh, that test site is being run by Google Wing. Um, how does it work? It's essentially an app, much like Uber Eats, um, where you order something that you want and a drone will come and drop it off to you. Wow. Um, so it's sort of the stuff of sci-fi, <laughs> which is usually my bread and butter. And that's it why is. I'm there, right? Yeah. And before going to Logan, I didn't know anything about it. So I was there uh, because a part of the project that I'm looking at is trying to understand the impacts of testing mm. on communities, on the environment and so on. And so I'm there I'm interviewing uh, people on the ground. I'm interviewing people who work at Wing, um, local council and so on and Logan itself is a really unusual place like mm. you know when I say national site of disadvantage I mean it is uh, there's a statistic that it was one of sort of in the the, the bottom um, 15% of Australian suburbs in terms of income. Um, it's a site not just for AI testing, uh, but it's a site that has been used for social services testing. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, uh, the federal government picked Logan as a place to test income management, which is sort of like a proto-basics card, essentially. So if you were flagged as someone who was sort of at risk in a particular way, uh, your Centrelink payment would be quarantined. 80% of it would be used for sort of state-sanctioned purposes only so incredibly wild. yeah paternalistic right and it's yeah. also the side of where they did mandatory drug trials drug testing mm-hmm. um for people uh to access their Centrelink payments so you would have to do a, a drug test if you failed your drug test then you would go on to income management mm. and it's where they trialed and refined those techniques before rolling them out elsewhere mm. and how is it how is that i mean that field work you're still currently working on this what was what did you make of the town yeah, it's it's a really um, it's a really interesting place. It's about if you don't know Logan, it's sometimes called South Brisbane. Um, it's halfway between sort of Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Um, it's uh, well, it was has a long, interesting uh, colonial history uh, as the site where there was sort of um, uh, sugar plantations. Um, then it moved into the 70s. Uh, the government bought up a large swathe of land for um, – uh, what is it called? 
social housing, right? public yeah. housing. Yeah. Uh, and so it just became a, a, a place where a lot of people on low income and people who needed social housing would go and live mm. um, and which has really sort of shaped the character of the place. Mm. I'm so I'm so thankful that you directed my attention to this documentary. This was your pick for This Week, Tao. And Braithwaite's documentary, Because We Have Each Other, really, like we mentioned before, it doesn't slip into uh, like poverty porn. I think that's mm. important for us to mention. Um, I just thought that it was so interesting having that context when we talk about this story. I'm going to play uh, a clip from uh, the trailer. I need a holiday desperately. We do. We need a holiday. No, not we. (laughs) I need a holiday. I didn't say you were invited. (laughs) My name's Janet Barnes. I'm a 58-year-old mum. I like to think of myself as a positive person. (laughs) Oh, that's cruel. I'm Brent. I'm a 52-year-old motorcycle spray-painting nut. Meeting Brent was the push for me that I thought I can trust myself to love somebody else. I don't know how it works, it just does. She pulls me into line and I bend her out of line. Living with five kids with different needs, it's very hard to switch off. I think I want a break. And I love him, but, you know, I want to love myself. I hope that kind of gives you a sense of the tone of Because We Have Each Other. I think the important thing to mention about Braithwaite's documentary is that Braithwaite is very much the observer and in Censored it was just footage that she's presented and you know it's amazing archival endeavor but here in because we have each other we never see Braithwaite on camera but I feel like she gets such intimate and um, amazing footage and revelations and just honesty from her subjects. Um, Tal one of the things that stood out to me and I think this kind of plays in a little bit to our conversation about Sweet As about that idea of a photographic Mm. sort of image or something but there's a fantastic moment in which uh, Braithwaite captures this sign that just says bad credit okay and listening to you talk about Logan, the history of Logan, the situation there and all these different tests that are going on there, I just thought that was such a perfect, um, such an evocative image on screen. Yeah. I mean, she has such a deft and sensitive Mm. hand for storytelling. I mean, you said before it took five years to make this film and you can really see where all of the work went. It's Mm. such an unprecedented level of intimacy with all of the, you know, I don't want to say subjects, characters uh, of this story. I mean... It's so it's it's really interesting for me because I had never um, heard of Sari Braithwaite before. I hadn't watched any of her films. The only reason I went to go watch it was because because um, somebody I uh, heard it saw the trailer and was like, "Oh, I was, this is based in Logan Tower. You've been doing stuff in Logan. You go see it." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I will." Um, and it's so interesting because Logan itself is not a character. No, it's not. Yeah, like, it's, almost the opposite of sweet ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know and. I watched. I went to go see a screening at Nova with the Q and A um, uh, with the director, and afterwards I asked, you know, 
what did you think of Logan? Blah, blah, mm. blah, blah. What, you know, I, I wondered if it was going to be a character. And she said, no, 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 I chose to go for this universal setting. And I think that was such a, a, a really wise move because it is such a transcendental film. Yeah. You know, each and every character has a really transcendental piece of wisdom mm. to offer us that has been gained from a situation which they've had to, you know, deal with life that has dealt them a very difficult hand. Absolutely. And that question of universality is so important because I think as a country we're very uncomfortable talking about the wage discrepancy, the um, Mm. wealth discrepancy, Um, class in general Mm. is a very uncomfortable thing and we kind of use working class as like a symbol of our identity while that is not most, you know, often the situation often um it's put on as sort of almost like cosplay Mm. but the people in in because we have each other the family that is the focus I just thought there was such an interesting way where their 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 stories are uh, given time their their situation but it's not a pity story it definitely doesn't go into that whole poverty porn like I said and I was really grateful for like you say Braithwaite has just exceptional lightness of touch and she feels so economical in her decision making to select those particular things, you know, a few seconds of footage here and there that communicate so much more than words could. There, of course, is lots of um, details that that her that the family provide her that create a narrative, and. There's, I mean, I, I felt like I could continue. I could watch another hour of staying with that oh, family. Oh, I'm sure she's got the footage. You yeah. mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll call like her five up. years, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it just shows her mastery of, of dealing with all of this footage and knowing exactly when to press start and stop. Um, Jasper, I know that you came across um, Braithwaite's work a few years ago at Acme, was it? Yeah, so I had discovered the work. It's a five uh, video channel installation in Acme and I think I returned about three different times. So it's called uh, You Will See Me and it was uh, about the public stage of the use of the internet to film our private and public lives um, and almost comparing that in a reality TV set and the emotional turmoil that uh, occurs when putting yourself out there. And it goes through this almost 4D physical experience of sitting in this chair and seeing uh, influencers, vloggers and people on the internet staring at you, uh, transitioning from happiness to to tears and Mm. emotions. And it was so interesting that I would just return to Acme just to see it again. Mm. It was so interesting, just 10 minutes of just a roller coaster. Yeah. I I feel as though... One of the strengths of Braithwaite's work is in immersing us in stories that we think kind of, you know, not dissimilar to Sweet As, where you think, oh, this isn't for me, but it it absolutely is. And I thought there was so much, uh, so many different narratives within Because We Have Each Other that people will resonate with. Mm. There is a beautiful universality, but there is also the specificity of five adult children who are dealing with neurodiversity and the challenges, and they're really honest with how difficult some of these things are. And I just thought simple things there, I won't ruin it, but there's a mention of um, a crime that has taken place and the way in which they need to return back to that, the, f- the manner in which that trauma is embedded into the disability as well. Mm. And a few weeks ago on Primal Screen, we did a spotlight on disability on screen. I was joined by Rado O'Meara, uh, Dr. Rado O'Meara and Clem Basto and talking through over that hour representation of 
disabled lives, disabled bodies on screen was so powerful to realise how often it's something that affects most, you know, will at some point affect most of us, but yet we don't talk about it on screen. It's not granted a say and it doesn't have a space. Mm-hmm. And I just love that this film, it has that as the setup. And yet you watch this and there's these beautiful poetic moments, mainly delivered from the subjects themselves, right? Where they say it's their musings. And I just thought that was really powerful. Yeah, they're never this. reduced. They're never reduced to their, you know, their labels. Yeah. Uh, do you know, that's what I mean by a transcendent wisdom to it. I tell you, the, the place, Logan is not a character, but do you know what is a character is the sky. Yes, yes. It's a const, constant um, cutting to the stars and clouds mm. and sky, um, which I think is like really profound and right Like because each of us can look up and sort of uh, uh, see a resonance with what they're saying, mm. even if you're not living the life that they're living. Yes. And I, I think there's also there's enough in it that it, those moments actually do need a pause. And you can – it's a, quite a short film. I think it only goes for an hour and a half and and that's kind of what I was referring to before about the economy of this film. Some of it is is quite heavy and I feel like people – audiences will likely have a very strong reaction to mm. some of these scenes. So it's good that she has created a sense of space for us to think about that and, and kind of our own role in it as well. Um, I just thought it was – it was so – the characters were so – the way that they developed, they were given that space and each given time to tell their story, um, I just really found quite profound and it's, I've kind of crept under my skin quite a lot. I know there's not many screenings of this. I think I, we have to let listeners know that it is currently playing at Acme. There is going to be a, um, a, a short, I think, actually, no, so it starts this Friday at Acme. So there's only, I think, a week or so to mm-hmm. watch it. I feel like it would be worth seeing on the big screen. Yeah, I mean, what a... Both these films, actually, mm. Sweet As, and because we have each other, like what an honour it is to like watch a, a local film in a local cinema. Yeah, you know, so many of these films, you will just you will never get to watch them again. Yes. This is the thing about uh, small films like this is that they don't get picked up by streaming services. Mm. So if you don't go see them now, you just the odds of them slipping through your fingers is quite high. Absolutely, so I compel you all to go. <laughs> and also, both, you know, we touched upon it a bit tonight, but both talk about things that are so pertinent to current and past politics, but do it in a way that is not rammed down your throat and it's just presented to you and you cannot help but be affected by it because it's what we're reading in the newspapers, it's what we're seeing on, you know, the news screens and we know what's happening here. Um, Yes, poverty is a part of this story, disability is, uh, and definitely in Sweet As those those elements also come through. but for both films, I feel as though they just do a tremendous job of taking us on these journeys in very different ways, of course. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, they're both um, so much about – they're not about turning away from pain, mm. you know, and not about turning away from the difficult histories that we have, but they're also not about dwelling on mm. that pain or reducing anyone to that pain. You know, I, I, it's really interesting um, – Sorry, Braithwaite. I mean, anyone, uh, me as a researcher, her as a filmmaker, anyone who's a writer, anyone who has like the privilege of telling a story, um, navigating that line is mm. so is, is so sensitive and so difficult, and like requires a, and, and you know requires a tremendous amount of trust. Yes, um, and you can see the amount of trust that they have uh, in the filmmaker here, the, the stories that they have given her. Mm. Um, uh, in the Q&A, somebody was asking about there's a particular uh, triple O call that's featured um, 
at, at one point when one of the kids goes to hospital and apparently that only came about after she had done a screening with the family um, and that after they understood what she was trying to do, they were, then they gave her the audio because mm. um, they, you know, they really trusted what she was doing. Yeah. And so that that kind of relationship with subjects, much like, you know, much like, like a different relation to like the colonial gaze of mm. like, you know, turning someone into an object of study, mm. like these people as invited into subjects yes. as to, you know, people who write their own stories, who, who, who are given their voice to do that. Yeah, well, there's the... There is, of course, the motto of um, disability, which is nothing about us without us. I think I've not messed that up. (laughs) I think that is something that Braithwaite has obviously brought to her filmmaking and it's a tremendous... it's a tremendous film and I, I encourage everyone to check it out. On tonight's show, we had a bit of a mix of uh, West and East. We started with Jub Clare's West Coast teenage drama, Sweet As, which is currently playing at cinemas around the country. And then we travelled over East for Sari Braithwaite's uh, moving portrayal of life in a neurodiverse family in her documentary, Because We Have Each Other, which is screening at Acme from this Friday until Sunday the 18th of June. I highly recommend checking out both those films. But before we wrap up, I promised listeners some recommendations from my two guests tonight. Tao, what have you got for us? Uh, I just finished the finale of Alone Australia. <laughs> yes. Which, <laughs> uh, oh, also on brand, people tackling, <laughs> people yeah. tackling country. Not always at war with country. Not always at war. And exactly. And it's those who really like mm. embrace that like it is not the enemy and we are not here to conquer and mastery is not the answer. Uh, is that that really fair well. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> but also, yeah, I mean, it's just um so charming I yes. can't look away you know my favorite thing about Alone Australia is that they did not unlike the Canadian version and the you know Norwegian ones they didn't bleep out the swearing oh, like, they just kept what it could be more Australian than <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah it's great and it's it's actually really different to Alone the American version too yes. which I have to be frank it does feel like the closest to watching like a real life squid game that I've ever seen it's just like <laughs> talk about poverty porn mm. honestly it is just like people being like I am so poor I have nothing to lose I will, starve, God, I will for... starve myself to mm. death uh, because I have nothing to lose and this is my uh, the best chance I have of winning some money whereas Alone Australia is not like that no there's and also I just love that um, it, you kind of Compare it to some of the other series and seasons and they just, like, don't last that long. But it's like they're in Tasmania. It is freezing cold there. It rains 200 days a year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're surviving on country eels, does people. not want you there. That's not the best part when one of the guys taps out. He's like, no, Palawa people do this whole, it's not just day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> um, and Jasper, what have you got for us? I just recently re-watched Blueback on DVD, yes. uh, circling back to the West Coast and Tim Winton. <laughs> Uh, this is Your the, love. Yes, this is the story uh, <laughs> of a young girl, Abby, uh, through her teenagehood to an adulthood as she discovers a wild blue groper and nicknames the fish Blueback. And it's the story of protecting uh, the blue groper from poachers and building a marine sanctuary um, in the town that they live in. And it's such a beautiful story. Uh, it involves freediving, puppetry uh, as well. And it is one of the most beautiful scores I've ever heard in contemporary Australian cinema. It brings chills down my spine um, when I think about it. It is Mm. just one of the most beautiful film scores I have listened to in recent years coming from this country. It is fascinating. Oh, do you know, because we have each other also had a magnificent score. Yeah, we didn't get to chat about that. that. Yes, very beautiful. And 
Sweet as amazing soundtrack. I did play They're one of the amazing, tracks from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did play a lot of um, Emily Waramara tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, my recommendation is your podcast, Jasper. Highly recommend all our listeners to check it out. Mirroring Yalangwa. Uh, it is on Spotify. Spotify. And you can listen to a more detailed uh, take of Jasper's on Sweet As, which I think we all recommend that you check out. Look, it is pretty much time for us to go. You can listen back to tonight's episode on the Triple R website, rrr.org.au, or you can subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast. A big shout out to Luke Lay, who edits our podcast and also handles the socials. Tao, Jasper, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Flig. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 